Uh, if, if you happen to be next to somebody, go ahead and bump elbows with them. And uh, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, we can come before you tonight. And uh, Lord, as um, you know, body of believers, those who are here to hear your word, Lord, some, some of us who are parents or grandparents or, or responsible for kids that we brought. And Lord, at this same moment, they're able to be immersed in the word of God as well and, and learning Bible verses and uh, biblical concepts. And uh, Father, I pray for um, all of those who are working with kids, uh, especially in a time of kind of shorthandedness, as, as is all of our society. Um, but Lord, I pray tonight that um, yeah, yeah, of all the people that should be out uh, on the job, doing the job, doing the work and the work of ministry, Lord, it should be us. And uh, so we just look to you for uh, our eyes are, are upon you at this time. Uh, Lord, we know that you can work in the lives of people that we know that we love that are close to us. They're struggling physical issues. And uh, Father, I pray you'd support and be with them, that they would have that sense of your presence, that there would be peace that passes understanding. And uh, Lord, give medical doctors wisdom. I, I thank you. We live in a place where we can be anointed with the oil of modern medicine. Uh, but Lord, be with us now also, just as we look into your word together tonight. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as you came in, maybe you got one of the handouts, uh, which is actually the same handout as for last Sunday night as well. And uh, uh, if you didn't, they're right over there by the door. Uh, so, uh, you know, we did. It's, it looks like it's taken two weeks at a time kind of for us to get through each section of eight verses. So I do have a fresh handout with the next set of eight verses in the case we should um, be able to get that far tonight, and we'll see uh, whether we're able to or not. If you need a handout, I see Joe's over there right now. I'll bring one to you if you happen to not, you know, if you happen to snake in without getting one. And one of the last things that we did last Sunday night was uh, I asked, you know, we kind of did a, a pattern of a certain type of Bible study, and I asked uh, who would be willing to summarize what we did last week tonight. And so Garrett said he would be willing. So Garrett, come on up, and uh, I'll let you start. Okay, am I on now? All right, you guys. Hey, um, so Discovery Bible Study, right? Uh, Alan went over this last week, so we're just going to review this again. And it's something Alan's wanting to um, see starting to be implemented. Um, so who is Discovery Bible Study for? It's really for anybody. You know, as you see, it's for anyone who is willing to have a Bible study with you, um, even if it's one-on-one -on -one in a group setting, whatever it might be. But you can use it to, to reach anybody, to reach friends, to reach, um, if you've been studying the Word for a long time, to inviting your lost friends to come in and study with you. So it's a great Bible study method to really start going over passages of the Bible. Um, you know, you can do longer passages, shorter passages. Um, as a leader, you would just kind of facilitate that, see how big your group is and what type of passages you want to go over and how often you want to do it. So how do you do 
Discovery Bible Study. The first step is going to be everyone's going to read the passage silently. Then you'll take and each each person in the group, if they want to choose to be a part of it, would read one verse out loud, and you just kind of go around in a circle reading the verses of that passage. So what that does is that leads to you've now read it once, then you've heard it. So you're just using all the different senses to hear and understand the passage. Um, then you're going to go verse by verse, and you're going to pick out the verbs. You're going to figure out what's the action of each verse. What's it talking about? After that, what are the warnings in this passage? You know, Next thing would be the theme. What's the theme of the passage? So what's it saying? What, what's it covering in that passage? Um, you're also going to look at it and dissect it prophetically and see what is, if there's anything talking about the future, talking about. So we're really covering just about everything in these passages. Okay, the next thing, um, you're going to get out your concordance and your treasury of scripture knowledge, and you're going to break into groups, and you're going to divide and conquer at this point in time. You're going to go look up all the references, the cross-references. So like I said, you're really studying from all aspects of the passage. Um, then you're going to come back together, and you're going to report on what you found, what you read, and really be able to discuss it as a group at that point in time. Next thing, kind of the ending deal, is you're going to pray yourselves out of this verse by verse. You're going to take each verse and just pray it back to the Lord and, and, and understand what it's being said. And after you've compared Scripture with Scripture, you're going to get a great understanding of that passage and be able to implement that into your lives better. And a note for leaders, whoever's leading the Bible study will have needed to do all this work ahead of time to be able to facilitate this, especially if you've got lost friends or even friends from other denominations, maybe you're not using the King James Bible. As we know, if you're going to study the Bible, the best Bible to have is the King James Bible. So you're going to have other Bible versions possibly in the study group, so they're going to say, my Bible says this, my Bible says that. And as a leader, you're going to have to know what the passage is and know where all this is and be able to pull us back together You'll want to do that affirmingly, though. You'll, you don't want to beat someone down. You want to affirm them and bring them back into the Word of God the right way. So that's that's the basics. So now I wanted to go over it again real quick. I just picked the first three verses uh, that we went over last week and review it again. So I'd ask you real quick to read these three verses silently, and then we'll read them out loud. Okay, so I'd like to get three volunteers to read these, one of these verses out loud. Okay, Rich. All right, so now we've done the first two bullet points. 
Um, the next one's going to be the verbs. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide. I went ahead and made it a little easier and highlighted them. So as you can see in that first verse, the, the verb there is cleanse. Um, so the next verse, we're going to have sought, and then it, it get, it's just two options there, sought and not wonder. And the third verse there is going to be hid and not sin. And I also highlighted um, each verse talks about the Word of God. You know, So you've got the Word, thy commandments, and thy Word again in those verses. And so that's kind of like a common theme that we could see there, that each verse has the Word of God in it. It talks about the Word of God and things that pertain to having the Word of God in your life. So that breaks down what the Discovery Bible Study Method is. All right, Alan. And, uh, you know, within the next few weeks, uh, you know, I hope in the next month or so, we can kind of get synced in such a way and uh, examples uh, as we go through this of doing this in such a way we can invite the harvest team leaders in uh, to, a, you know, to a Sunday night and say, hey, how, you know, let's, let's throw out this idea to your group. And if anyone in your group can find even one person, one lost person that would like to have a Bible study, then start one. And, you know, think about doing this and see how it goes. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited about us maybe being able to do that. So for right, so for tonight, for tonight, go back to Psalm 119. And um, actually, we took, you know, all of our time last time talking about this Bible study idea and rolling out some of the themes here in this second segment and what they mean. And so uh, tonight we're actually ready to finally get down to verse 9 and talk about verse 9. Now before I do that, I want you to rewind one verse, rewind to verse 8, so that we can kind of get a running start on on the section tonight. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 8, I will keep... Thy statutes, oh, forsake me not utterly. Um, so in the in you know in the Bible study idea, we're talk, you know we talked about using tools like one is called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, which is simply a book of six hundred thousand cross references. So each verse. For each verse in the Bible, on average, they list about almost 20 cross-references for every single verse. That way you can compare Scripture with Scripture, and the Holy Spirit can be his own interpreter. And, you know, shed light on things and open your eyes in that way. Another thing that we talked about was using a concordance. Um, Who can stand up right now and explain to the rest of us what a concordance is? What, What is a Bible concordance? So let me phrase it this way. How many of you ever went to school? How many of you ever had a textbook? How many of you know that in the back of almost every textbook is a section that they call index? An index to the book? What's an index to the book? 
Well, it takes all the major concepts, all the major words referred to in that book, and it tells you the page that discusses that topic or that issue or that idea or that word. So wherever that word appears in that book, you can find it on those pages. A concordance to the Bible is like an index to the Bible. So uh, one is called Strong's Concordance. Strong's Concordance has every word that is used in the Bible alphabetically, and then it lists for you every reference that contains that word by giving you the reference that it's at. So it doesn't go by page number, but it goes by Bible reference. So that's Strong's Concordance. How many of you have ever heard of Cruden's Concordance? Cruden's Concordance is kind of like, in a lot of ways, a phrase concordance. So, so pour a hemplo. If I look up the word day, if I look up the word day, in Strong's Concordance, it just lists from Genesis to Revelation every occurrence of the word day. But in a Cruden's Concordance, it'll break that down into first day, second day, third day, that day, in the day. And it, and it takes phrases, and I, you know, I don't even know how these guys did this. Cruden's Concordance was put together in the 1700s. And the unique thing about a King James Bible is that so many of these magnificent reference tools are keyed only to King James Bibles. So there is no Cruden's Concordance of some other version. And, uh, but I don't know how they did it in the day before computers. I mean, you know, you'd, you'd almost have to go crazy doing that. Now, a third concordance. How many of you are familiar with a Young's analytical concordance? Okay, now what's the unique thing about Young's? Those of you that have one or know what it is. How does it work? Okay, so right here, for example, right here in verse 8, look at verse 8, I will keep. Now that word keep occurs 22 times, but it represents two Hebrew words that are translated keep. That's a Young's analytical concordance. So it'll give you every... It'll give you every occurrence of the word keep, but then it will subdivide it into which Hebrew words are translated that way and or which Greek words in the New Testament are being translated that way. So one of the Hebrew words is natsar. And it's translated, natsar is translated keep eight times, and it means to guard, it means to protect, the second Hebrew word is shamar. And shamar is translated keep 14 times. And it means to hedge about, to surround with a hedge, to build a hedge or a fence around something to protect it. And so 14 times it appears like that. Uh, one of those 14 times is this one 
verse 8. So I think that's kind of, that's kind of, yeah, now that's the word keep. The word kept occurs seven, seven times as Natsar and five times as Shamar. But in this case, the word keep here is the particular Hebrew word that doesn't mean that you're just standing guard over something. Man, it means you did the work. It means you dug a moat. It means you built a trench. It means you placed a fortification. It means that you got a hedge of thorns and you, you took the time and you did the work and there was all the labor to build a protective ring about it. I will keep. So I'm going to take your statutes and I know you're not going to forsake me because I'm going to use the statutes of your word like my hedge of protection. And the, but the other thing that the psalmist is really saying here, if you look at verse 8, what he's saying is that the very thing that God does for his people, the psalmist is going to do for God's word. Now, that says something about the times in which we live, in my opinion, because God is willing to encamp angels around us, you know, to to hedge us about and protect us. God is willing to do that for us, and yet how have we treated his word? How have we protected, how have we guarded the word of God that he gave us? And, and again, you know, and maybe this because it's fresh in my mind because, you know, on Saturdays we're going through what, what is called manuscript evidence. So, okay, we're looking at Bibles and Bible versions and the King James Bible. But, you know, so God went through a process and, you know, came down, uh, came down in that process to the King James Bible. And for 280 years, that was the only Bible we had in English. Now, either that means either it's God's word or we've never had it. Because after that point... Uh, It was not only just a a new translation, it was a different underlying Greek text, and it was a different philosophy and method of translating. So what, what the Lord does for his people, David is willing to do for God's word, because that is what biblical authority means. So the impact of biblical authority on your life and on your lifestyle comes out strongest in this second segment of this psalm. So verse 8 is just setting us up for what we're going to see here in this section, verses 9 to 16. Okay, so you say, well, Alan, break it down. Okay, every single verse. Watch, if you are devoted to that idea of God's word and of biblical authority then you have certain stated desires which the ungodly do not have, right? Verse 9, wherewith shall a young man, okay? Okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm a preacher, so I'm all about alliteration. So, uh, by that phrase, wherewithal should, should a young man, you ought to put the word period. It is a period of time. As a young man, uh, wherewith shall a young man cleanse? Well, that's priority. 
So period, and then priority. And uh, wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? That's the premise. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's the promise. Okay, so watch. Watch. Wherewith shall a young man stop? The young man, the young person is the, the disciple. What must a young person do? Uh, how many of our men in here were at the uh, man camp this, uh, this last September? A few of you? So you will remember that at man camp, I took a passage in First uh, John, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, John says some things to, to, to babes, to young men, and to uh, fathers, okay? And each one is given a certain thing. And at the bottom line, a young man must conquer. I mean, as, at the, at the, as, as a young man, you've got to win, because anything you do not conquer as a young man is going to follow you the rest of your life. That doesn't mean that, you know, you, you, you can't still get over on it and, and overcome it. But, uh, wow, it's just, you know, he's talking, he's, there is a reason why the psalmist is referring to a certain period of time where you really need to give it your best. And you need to make sure you win. You have to, as, as John states it in his epistle, you have overcome the wicked one. You've got to win. Especially the men, especially the young men. Because if you don't win there, if you don't win at that time, it haunts you. And so... The period of time is, wherewithal shall a young man, the priority is, wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way. So I think a prominent place is assigned to um, the young men here in this psalm because they especially need to know the secrets of victory in this arena. One secret of victory is Cleansing your way, making a way that's clean, cleansing your way. Okay, now that, okay, if I'm going to cleanse my way, and if I'm thinking, you know, this isn't, this is, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking to teenagers, but apparently the psalmist is. And if I'm thinking uh, cleansing my way, but part of what that means is, uh, you know, I've got testosterone too, and I probably fell I need to know how to get that under the blood and go on with God. And that's good for all of us. But, you know, he's focusing on the young men. You've got to know the secrets of victory in this arena. So think of this as David in his youth, as Daniel in his Babylon, as Jesus growing up. How do we survive? Because so many Old people are really only young men and women spiritually. I mean, spiritually, they're really just, you know, they're not that old. They're kind of still immature and young. Verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Here's the premise. By taking heed thereto, 
then you get the promise according to thy word. So God's word is a mirror revealing deformity and a water to cleanse the way whenever you've you know messed up in it. And 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 you know this is a spot I think we learn what every hero wants to be. We learn the best way to live. We learn the noblest way to suffer. We learn the most virtuous way to die. You know, there was a sacred song in the old church. Because, you know, the old church, we always only sang hymns. And uh, it, it said this, Go thou in life's fair morning, go in the bloom of youth, and buy for thy adorning the precious pearl of truth. Secure this heavenly treasure and bind it on thy heart. And let not earthly treasure e'er cause thee to depart. And all I'm saying is nothing in AA, nothing in any recovery program uh, on the planet will do the job like this will. What David's talking about right here. Keep your finger here. Go to Colossians chapter 8. Now, if you uh, remember what is said in verse 8, you know that it's a lot easier to make promises than it is to keep them. And yet, it is not our promises to the Lord that brings victory. It's his promises to us that bring victory. Now, that's totally backwards to, you know, to most to a lot of Baptist mindset, because frankly, you know, just be honest with you, I think a lot of churches, even churches like ours, are kind of pretty much mostly along the same line as, uh, again, as ancient pagan Roman thoughts and as ancient Jewish, you know, ritual idea. And uh, the way the way we look at it is, I can fix it with my willpower, or I can fix it with my reason. And I'll reason myself to the spot, and I'll make another promise. And my promise that I make to God will deliver me. And that's exactly the opposite of grace and the opposite of what's being said here, because it's not my promise to God that delivers me. It is God's promise to me. So this section, verses 9 to 16, answers how we can fulfill verse 8, And I submit to you, it is the exploded diagram of two verses here in Colossians 3. Somebody who has a good playground voice, outside playground voice, stand and read Colossians 3, the first two verses. Huh. Seek, seek, and if you'll seek above, it's going to set right the things that are on the earth. I mean, we always get preoccupied with things on the earth, and that's why we're defeated all the time, or that's why we're stuck, or that's why we can't get over. And so, you know, we go into the bookstore, even the Christian bookstore, and so we got to, you know, go to the self-help type section, and we got to find, you know, whatever the latest author or the latest fad of the latest thing. And uh, Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 doesn't exactly say that. So back in verse 9, 
Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewith? Wherewith are you going to do this? Now, wherewith? Um, you, uh, you, you, you could take a note or put down in the margin or whatever. Wherewith is kind of contraction of three English words. With what all? With what are you going to do this? With what all things shall a young man cleanse his way? Oh, here's the promise by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. Now turn to John chapter 17. Finger, keep your finger here, but John 17. See, this is both the peril and the protection of heart purity because if your heart seeks God, your feet won't stray from Him. I'm just saying. If your heart seeks God, your feet will not stray. So verses 9, 11, and 16. Psalm 119, verses 9, 11, and 16 present the Bible as the Word of God, singular, verses 10 and verse 12 to 15 present it as the words of God. And all I'm just saying is that's why the importance of understanding biblical authority and what we have in a King James Bible, because we don't just have the, quote, Word of God, unquote. We have the words of God. And so much, I mean, as you can see from what we're doing tonight, and as you can understand from that kind of discovery method of Bible study that we've talked about, yeah, I mean, it's based on words, and it's based on keywords, and it's based on being able to line words up, and it's, it's based on um, uh, reference tools that are keyed to the words. And nobody studies like that today. Nobody studies like that today. Do they? No, they don't. I mean, you can go to the, you know, whatever you book up, book you pick up on uh, how to study the Bible, and you know, typically it's going to say, okay, um, 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 uh, you know, observation, uh, interpretation, and application of a passage. Okay, that is somewhat the best a lost man can do on a good day. And that's what they do with everything else they study. That's what they do with it. And that doesn't matter. The ancient author, they do those three things. Uh, but the, the unique thing about the Bible, because it's the Word of God, is that you know it's, it is 40 different authors, but it all comes from one mind. And that mind is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit did not stop watching over His Word the moment it was finished being written down, but actually God was providentially involved in getting his language, his word, even his words even into other languages. I mean, that's just a faith-based view. And because of that, it's, you know, it's not just observation, interpretation, application. It, it's, it's actually the word of God because it, it's the words of God, and um, it's not just the concepts that are important. And you know, a lot of the modern Bible translations translate specifically on the basis of that philosophy that it is the words which are not important and only the concepts which are. 
So they use a method, you know, that I, you know, probably the most popular version that does this is uh, is New International Version. Uh, and they'll tell you right up front in the forward, in the preface, that they use uh, dynamic equivalence. So not translating words. They want to put the con- same concept across. Okay, but now here's the problem. If I take their translation, it, let's say the New Testament, and I take their translation of a passage, and I translate it back into Greek, it says nothing like what the, the Greek said. It's like, okay, uh, well, all right. I mean, again, and the Holy Spirit will use whatever sword you give him, even if it is a dull one. But why not give him a two-edged sharp one? Because um, it's not just the concepts that are important. The Holy Spirit, God has chosen to communicate to us in verbal word packages. Okay, watch. Did I say turn to John 17? Somebody with a good outside uh, playground voice, read verse 8. John 17, verse 8. Now, not all at once. Huh, did Jesus say that? John 17, verse 8, I've given unto them the words. Well, okay. Now also read verse 14. And somebody else stood up over here, I think. Yeah, read verse 14 also. Okay, by giving us God's words, he gave us God's word. As a matter of fact, John 1, um, Jesus was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So that's both Jesus and the words that he was giving. And, you know, once you've got that, what do you find? Well, kind of the whole world's against you because the devil knows what that word can do, what God's words can do, and how God's word will do the work in your life if you let it. And that's, that's the only thing David is saying in this whole segment here. And that is the doctrine of biblical authority, meaning not just the idea that the Bible is authoritative or even that it has authority in your life, but that the word of God is what allows you to function with kingdom authority in this life. So it's no wonder that even in broader evangelicaldom, we are so dysfunctional. The persecuted church is so much better than us. So much more spiritual, so much more committed, so much more evangelistic. And yet we have all of these things, and we've got money, and we got tools, we got electronics, we got all of that. But it's no wonder. I mean, the Satan has pulled the plug on the Holy Spirit having power in our life because he took away our sword. He took away our, you know, substituted for something dull. And, and it just did, you know, it just doesn't have the same effect. So now uh, 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 we need to pay attention to the terms 
so that we can keep God's concepts. The ten different names for the word of God in this psalm are all facets of the gem that we call the Bible. Now that drives us to the next idea in verse 10. Verse 10 Okay, I'm going to alliterate it, this verse again for you, in the case that you want to write it down. Degree with my whole heart. That's the degree. That's total. Okay, that's the degree. With my whole heart, devotion have I sought thee. With my whole heart degree, I have sought thee. Devotion. Why? Because part-heartedness does not please God. I mean, I just, you know, this, it's, a, it's a, a cold and snowy night. It's 30 degrees out there. So I, you know, you just go out to your car tonight. And, I, you know, if you've got a four-cylinder, take the, take the spark plug wire off of two. If you've got a six-cylinder, well, take it off of two. If you've got an eight-cylinder, just take just two. Just take the spark plug wire off of two cylinders and see how good you get going, and see how far you get. Part-heartedness doesn't please God. I mean, he needs all of us, and all eight cylinders, uh, uh, you know, we need to, we all have different mental horsepower, but that's irrelevant if God has all eight cylinders of you. So, verse 10 Sentiment, with my whole heart I have sought thee. Supplication, oh, let me not wander, standard from thy commandments. With my whole heart I've sought thee, that's the sentiment. Oh, let me not wander, that's the supplication. From thy commandments, that is the standard. You know, there are five things listed in Psalm 119 that you're supposed to do with your heart, according to Psalm 119. I mean, it's just another way that you could analyze this psalm. Um, And I'll say, you know, particularly, as I've mentioned before, if you uh, have certain issues in your life that seems uh, seem addictive, and particularly if it's spiritual or demonic or whatever, and, uh, you know, they're waking you up at night and it's a real struggle, okay, Get up, get a, you know, get your Bible out, turn Psalm 119, get a notebook, and start analyzing it from different ways. One of the ways I suggested before was that you go through and um, just pick out every request David makes in the psalm and, and get them all lined out and prioritize them by how, you know, how often each one is, uh, each request is made. But also you'd be able to look at this and say, okay, what should I do, not, you know, not just with my heart, but with my whole heart? So let me... Do the, yeah, let me do the Cruden's Concordance idea and let me look up a whole heart in this psalm. Oh, there are five things here. I'm not going to tell you what, you what they are. You find them. Because half-hearted commitment always results in defeat. Why do we want to go out like that? And yet, the wholehearted among us disturb us, don't they? I mean, it's like, how did you get there? It's like, what, are you for real? What's going on with you? They intimidate us, those who are wholehearted. 
But here's the danger from wandering away from the word. Um, Here's the thing. God alone sees your heart. But only with your heart alone can you see God. And, And that is the problem. God alone sees the heart. And the heart alone can really see God because he's got to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So let me give you just a section, a survey, now that we've gone through at least two verses, 9 and 10. Let me just survey the section for you, and I think this is probably on your handout. Uh, Verse 9, peril and protection of the young. That's heart purity. Verse 10, the danger of wandering. Verse 11, the best thing... The best place for the best purpose. Verse 12, only the blessed can bless others. Uh, Verse 13, man's lips and God's mouth. Verse 14, the maxim, riches are acquired with difficulty, enjoyed with trembling, and lost in bitterness. Verse 15, contemplation and action. Verse 16, rejoicing and remembering. Um, you know, there are a lot of other good tools you could use to help out in you know, certain areas if you want to get them. There, uh, Warren Wiersbe has uh, had, uh, he looked at the entire Bible and he, he broke down a survey of the Bible. For each book of the Bible, it had a, uh, his title would start with the word be. Be something, be, do something, you know, be this, be that. And, and he just took every book of the Bible and went through like that. And then, the publisher, you know, decided they combine all those books into about six volumes. Now I think you can even get it in two volumes. Uh, Wearsby says this, To the unsaved sinners, the law is an enemy because it announces their condemnation and cannot save them. To legalistic believers, the law is a master that robs them of their freedom. But to spiritually minded believers, the law is a servant which helps them see the character of God and the work of Christ. So, David, or whatever Old Testament believer wrote, who wrote Psalm 119, was not satisfied with having the law in his home, or the law in his head, or the law in his hand. He wanted the law, he wanted the word of God in his heart, where it could help him to love what was holy and to do what was right. That is verse 11. And it was this approach that Jesus took in the Sermon on the Mount. Because the attributes of God, as revealed in the Old Testament parallel, the characteristics of the Word of God seen in Psalm 119. So, so both God and the Word of God are gracious. We see that in this Psalm, verses 29, 58, Psalm 86, verse 15. Both God and the Word of God are true, and the truth we see that in verse 30, verse 43, verse 160, Exodus 34, 6. Both God and the Word of God are righteous. Verse 106, verse 123, 
verses 137 and 138, verse 143, verse 151. Both God and the word of God are good. Verse 39, verse 68, both are trustworthy. Verse 86, verse 138, both are eternal. Verse 89, verse 152, verse 160, Deuteronomy 33, 27, and both are light. Verse 105 and Psalm 27, 1. So this section is kind of the vital ministry of the Word of God in the inner life, in the spiritual life of God's children. I mean, I'm just saying this is is the most significant thing you can start getting in your life this year. Are these concepts right here? And David may have been meditating on Psalm 19, where he lists six names for Scripture, five of which are found here in Psalm 119. The law, testimony, precept, commandment, and judgment. So in all but 14 verses in this psalm, he addresses his words to the Lord personally. So this psalm is basically a combination of worship and of prayer and of praise and of admonition. Wiersbe has said the prophet Jeremiah might have been the author of Psalm 119 and that he wrote it to teach and encourage his young disciples, verse 9, after the destruction of the temple. And there may have been that influence. I still think it was David. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit enables the child of God to fulfill God's righteousness in his or her daily life. We know that from Romans 8, verses 1 to 11. The Holy Spirit will enable us to do this as we yield ourselves to him, as we yield to his words to us. So we've got to spend time in his word to mine this treasure for our hearts. Put it into the heart. Make it written there by the Holy Spirit. And then we will be able to do God's will. So if you treasure any possession above your Bible, above the word of God, that's just idolatry. And it, and it will lead you into error, and it, and it will take you away. I mean, and the person who is not blessed can't be a blessing. You lose out on all of that. So uh, this, is, this is the ramifications of not a uh, uh, ramification of a lack of mortification of our flesh. I guess that's what I, I guess that's the way I'd say that. Uh, John Owen, one of the old Puritan writers, said, To master sin in our life, David describes a mind controlled by the, by the Spirit. Our sinful desires become so weak, they can't produce the deeds of sin. Now that's the goal you ought to have in your life. That is why you've got to get in the Word of God daily and get the Word of God in you. Because the more you get of the Word of God, the Word of God will do the work. And then sinful desires get weaker. I mean, they get so weak, they can't even produce what they used to produce of what you used to do. So we do know from the New Testament that indwelling sin is personified. It is called the old man. He has a way of thinking. He has his tendencies. He has his wisdom. 
He has his craft, he has his subtlety, and he has his strength. And this old man, the Apostle Paul tells us, this old man must be mortified. Now, we're crucified in Christ, but here's the problem. Crucifixion was not an immediate death. We still wrestle to put to death that which was crucified. So we can produce the effects. And that can only be done by the Holy Spirit using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, verse 11. Look at verse 11. Here's the possession, thy word. Here's the place have I hid in mine heart. And here's the purpose that I might not sin against thee. Thy word, we all possess that as believers. You can, you should. Have I hid in my heart? That's the place you got to put it, not just on a shelf, not just on a coffee table. Spurgeon said one time, he's, he's my hero. Charles Spurgeon preached uh, in London in the late 1800s, um, you know, mid to late 1800s. When he first got to London, he was only 19 years old. And he starts pastoring New Park Street Pulpit. And uh, so he's pastoring, and he's, he became a phenom. I mean, it was uh, the Beatles only. <laughs> he was a Baptist preacher. It was only 19. And, you know, and he, he became, you know, he was, you know, he, he was just a phenom. Because he would, he would stand up, and he would say things like, you know what? I could go to your house, and I could, I could go to your Bible that's there on the nightstand, and I could write the word damnation in the dust that's on the top of that Bible. I mean, you just didn't say those type of things in polite London, but he did. And, and um, you know, God, you know, praise the Lord for the ministry that he had. But uh, a lot of us, you know, uh, golly, you know, don't put, the, don't put the Bible on the shelf. Put it in your heart. That's the place that I might not sin against thee because that's the purpose. Okay, so let me, let me illustrate that irrefutable idea. If I gave you an apple, I said, okay, you, you hold on to this apple, you protect this apple, because I'm going to try and take that apple away from you. I'm going to try and get that apple. Um, in all likelihood, I could probably get that apple away from you. Okay, now give me the apple. Um, I, based on the way I handle that apple, I could make it so you could never get that apple away from me. All I have to do is eat it. Once I start eating it, well, you can't get it back now. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing you ain't going to do now. So, so if you digest it, well, then it's safe. And that's what he is saying here, because what this involves is taking the best possession, thy word, Utilizing the best plan, I hid it in the best place, my heart, for the best purpose, holiness. I mean, how can you beat that? I mean, that's a plan that will work 100% of the time. Put it in the place that it will do the most good. 
Now, now I know we always we break out in hives when somebody uses the word holiness. I, I understand that, but let me let me hit you with a scriptural, you know, what I think is a biblical definition. Holiness is simply wholeheartedness for God's mission. So holiness is not sinlessness. That's why a young man needs to cleanse his way. It got dirty. Holiness is not sinlessness. Holiness is wholeheartedness for God's mission. It is complete consecration to God in order to accomplish God's purpose for eternity. So sin is sinful because of how it distracts and what it takes away from. It takes us away from that complete consecration to God's word, God's work, and God's will. And therefore, we are weak and it is strong. Verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, Now, I think that if you have a a center column King James reference Bible, it may have a letter number by the word hid. And if you trace it to the center, at least in some editions, it's going to say that hid, you know, literally can be translated treasured. So, so, so it's just like the Ark of the Covenant was hidden in the Holy of Holies in that same way, God's word has to not just be read. I mean, obviously, you've got to read it to get into it and get it in you. But not just read. It has to be treasured in our heart. And I understand that ark was a type, a Bible type of the Lord Jesus Christ, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament, but we are the temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. That ark in the Old Testament was made of acacia wood, which showed his humanity. It was overlaid with gold that showed us his deity. It was carried on the shoulders of the priests that shows him being high and lifted up, enthroned. It was covered in blue. That's how his life reflected heaven. He defeated Satan in the wilderness with the one weapon that God placed in the hands of Adam and Eve in the garden, which they did not use, which is the word of God. Adam and Eve had it. They knew what God said. Eve, unfortunately, um, made a modern version of it. If you go back and look at it, she um, didn't exactly say precisely what God actually had said. And when the devil said, Yea, hath God said, she, she accepted that questioning of God's word. And therefore, the word of God that had been given to her was not sufficient. She needed the knowledge of evil as well as the knowledge of good. So Jesus did for us on our behalf what what Adam, uh, you know, didn't do in that he took the word God gave him and not just one time but three times he defeated Satan, and that, again, that is the importance of biblical authority. Eve relied on her reason. Adam relied on his emotion. But your heart needs to be God's home through the words of God. It needs to be before your lips, verse 13, so that you can declare it to others. Verse 12 says, okay, watch. Here's the teacher. 
Blessed art thou, O Lord. Here's the topic. Teach me thy statutes. Blessed art thou, O Lord, the teacher. Teach me thy statutes, the topic. Now, psychology says hurting people hurt people. Okay, and I'm not necessarily going to disagree with that. But, and however, Scripture says only blessed people can be a blessing. So, so, instead of looking back at your hurt as your reason for why you hurt others, why don't we move, why don't we turn our turret forward and start firing in the other direction? And uh, why don't we look at it and say, okay, but wait, hold it. Only blessed people can bring a blessing or be a blessing. Why don't I get in the Word and see if I can't get blessed? Yes, my way has been dysfunctional. Why don't I overwhelm dysfunction with function? Why don't I cleanse my way and then go on my way? So, this segment is the spiritual stairway to heaven. And I don't know who I triggered with that phrase. Uh, you know, I, I know there's somebody in here, you just had a flashback. and But really, this is the spiritual stairway to heaven. And take, heed, seek, hide. All of those, those four things, taking, heeding, seeking, hiding, is what it means by being taught. Hmm, how do I, how am I taught? How do I learn the word of God? Well, take, seek. Uh, heed and hide. So, so in whatsoever state you are in, learn this. And a teachable spirit is the key that enables us to learn from the Word of God. Okay, verse 13, I'm going to try and squeeze out one more verse. Uh, just because just we can. One more verse, verse 13. Public with my lips professed have I declared plenary all the judgments of thy mouth with my lips public have I declared profession all the judgments of thy mouth plenary turn to Acts chapter 20 before we close here Acts chapter 20 now that idea of from God's mouth to man's lips is what we call the doctrine of inspiration. What came out of the mouth of the prophets and of the psalmist and of the apostles is what came from the mouth of God. Paul himself says this, Acts 20, look at verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. We have something that needs to be said and needs to be said publicly. You know, that's why I'm always like, you know, do you believe in woman preachers? Man, I believe your kids should be preachers. Every Christian should be a preacher. Because we have something that needs to be said. It needs to be said publicly. Because if Bible truth is not proclaimed then the Bible really has no value to us. We don't talk about it. It's not valuable to us. So society and psychology are both bankrupt 
we need to return to the gold standard of truth. That's the Word of God. So proclaiming the whole counsel of God requires two, two things. Dissecting, declaring, and, verse 14, delighting. Delighting. But, unfortunately, my time has just run out. I thank you for yours. So go ahead and stand, and if you have somebody next to you, bump elbows. And if not, just blow somebody a kiss, I guess. I don't know, something. And uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you again tonight. Um, There is no lack of depth to your word. There is no lack of richness to your word. And yet, because it is so simple, it's just simple King James Bible English, There's nothing that prevents us from seeking it, from hiding it in our heart. There's nothing prevents us from understanding these simple words that can just be put together into sentences and concepts that we can acquire that actually, because they represent the presence of God to us, they have exactly that mystical power in our spirit, to make us strong over time, to give us abilities, Lord, to do things we never thought we could because you're remaking us from the inside out. And we are that new creature that you've said we are in Christ. And old things are passed away and and all things are become new as long as we get into the Word of God and we see that. So, Lord, help us say that as well as see that and, and make the Word of God the precious thing in our life that's going to deliver us, going to deliver our families, going to deliver our kids. It's going to take us, Lord, every place you want us to go. It's going to enable us to do in this life, whatever of it we have left, to do in this life the things that are going to count for your purpose for eternity. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.